Hey, imagine if you had a button that if you pushed it, it would undo everything that's happened over the last two years. So you think about COVID, you think about lockdowns, you think about shutdowns, you think about elections, you think about masks, you think about social distancing, you think about Zoom, you think about vaccines. You have a button in your possession, and if you press it, it undoes everything, takes us back to two years ago before we knew about any of that stuff, before it was reality, and it's just poof, it's gone, it undoes it all. What would you do with that button? Would you push it? Some of you are having an existential crisis out there right now, Well, thinking to yourself, well, but there's been so much good that's come out of the last two years, and I wouldn't have met him if I didn't meet him first over Zoom in our class, and then we got to meet in person, and we had masks on for the first couple months of our relationship, but now we took our masks off, and we still like each other. So no, Pastor PJ, I wouldn't push the button. Most of you in this room would say, I'm going to push the button. Let me out the button. I'm going to push it. In fact, I'm going to push it like 10 times. Let's get back to before all this stuff as fast as we possibly can. Or consider, if you would, the, the power that you have contained in this right here, your, your cell phone, right? Consider what is contained in it. And, and yeah, it's true that you have more power in this device here than the entirety of the computers that put the first astronauts on the moon in 1969. That's amazing in and of itself. It's, it's pretty phenomenal that you can pick this up and open up a, a web browser and ask Google something and, and you're going to get a, a response to it. Or maybe you don't even have to do that. You can just talk to Siri and Siri is going to give you whatever you're, you're looking for on that. That's pretty amazing. I mean, it's amazing on your cell phones that you can post a, a selfie with the, the duck lips and everything to Instagram so that you can get likes from people that you know, are kind of your friends, but you don't really know them, but you've got some weird connection on social media. Yeah, that, you, you can do that. That's pretty amazing. You can send a text to somebody across the world. I, I send text messages to Eric Zeller, who came in and preached here, if you guys remember, who's a missionary in Dubai. And I'm able to text Eric, and then I get a text back from him, and he's living in Dubai, serving the Lord in Dubai right now. Like, that's amazing that we can do that with this little device. But more amazing than all of that, more significant than all of that, and more powerful than all of that, at least for some of you in the room, is an app that you have on this phone. And it's one app, and it takes up less than a gig, far less than a gig on your phone. Do you guys know what that app is? It's the Bible app. And if you're out there and you're like, well, I don't have the Bible app on my phone. Well, you can remedy that tonight. You can go to the App Store, the Android Play Store, whatever that weird place with the green text messages that um, group chats go to die. Whatever, if you guys have that phone, like, yeah, go whatever demonic realm that is, and, and, and you can download the, the Bible app over there. Um, and the elect, I mean, the Apple, I mean, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you can get it right now. Like, where you sit, I, I won't be offended. If, if I see you on your phone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that you're going to download the Bible app, or download Logos Bible software, or, or download something where you can have God's word on your phone. And if you will do that, that will make your phone even more powerful than it already was. In fact, that will make your phone ridiculously, insanely powerful because contained then on your phone will be the word of God. Last two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus is the better Moses. Last week, we saw that Jesus offers us a better rest. This week, we're going to see that Jesus' word is the better word. See, but unlike the button that I opened with, that button that would undo the last two years, Unlike that button, I think some of us may not realize the power that you and I have at our disposal in the scriptures. Just how significant this book is, how powerful this book is in what it can do. So take those Bibles, 
whether they're newly downloaded on your phones or you've got a physical copy or you already have one on your device, and make your way to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, the author has been arguing for the, the need for our endurance so that we will enter into the rest that God has promised. And last week we saw that this rest that God has promised is better than the rest of the promised land. That it's not about entering into a physical land and being a part of a physical people with a physical heritage and, and national identity. That that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a rest that still is offered to us today because it's a rest that's going to come eternally. It's a rest that's going to be part of the new heavens and the new earth. And he's saying, look, if you hear God's voice, if you hear the word of God, he says, don't neglect it, was something that he said back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. Because there's something powerful about that word. And he picks up in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and he says this, for that word, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He begins, for the word of God. It's the word logos. That word logos is also used in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And John goes on to talk about all of the creative activity of the word, that the, the life and the light of God were contained within the word. And then he says this in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the word in John chapter 1? Jesus. And here the author is saying, for the word of God is living and active, the word of Christ. Jesus' message to us, you remember at the opening of Hebrews chapter 1, he said, look, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke through, our, through the prophets to our, our forefathers. He says, but now... He's spoken to us by his son. Now he's spoken to us by Christ and the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, the message that we now know as, as the entirety of the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament combined together. And so the author says the word of God, the logos of God, he says is living and active. Living in the Greek is at the front of that sentence. Chapter 12 begins with the word living, or ch chapter 12, verse 12 begins with the word living. And the reason why is because the author is emphasizing that point. That this is not a, a static book, that this is not a, 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 just a, a normal everyday book, that there's something dynamic about this book. It's active and it is, it's effective. That's that concept of being active. It's the word in the Greek where we get our English word for energy. And it's the same concept there, that the word of God is active and it's energetic, it's effective in our lives. See, God's word, again, is, is not a, a passive Entity. It's not a passive book. That app that you have on your phone is not a passive app, but it's active and it's living. Y'all, an encounter with the Word of God is not the same thing as an encounter with your favorite novel, your favorite fiction book, whatever that is. Right now, my, my daughter is getting into that stage of reading and really enjoying reading, and she's reading this series called The Wingfeather Saga, which is saga, which is put out by a guy named Andrew Peterson. Super good series. You guys would probably even enjoy it as well. Um, but she's reading it and she's devouring it and she's just obsessed with it. She's consumed by it. But y'all, that book has no life-changing power on her. It's not living and active. It's not the same thing as an encounter with your favorite novel or with a textbook from school, right? I mean, you guys have these textbooks that you get in school and college and, and they're meant to equip you and train you and, and, and get you ready for your career. Some of them are. Some of them are just wastes of paper. 
but, but some of them are, are helpful to you for whatever career you want to do, you want to pursue. You're learning about things, right? You're training to be a nurse. You're going to study about what that looks like. You need to learn anatomy and physiology. That involves textbooks. Those textbooks are helpful to you, yes? But the Word of God is not like that either. Those fall short of the standard of the Word of God. The Word of God is also not just like an instruction manual for your car. Your car breaks down and you're trying to figure out, what do I do? How do I fix this? Okay, I'm going to go to the instruction manual and figure it out, open it up and go, okay, step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. Step four, do this. And step four, it's fixed. Now, the word of God is, is not like that either. See, you may benefit from those in some form or fashion. They may provide knowledge and instruction to you. They may have some sort of significance to you, maybe even be meaningful to you. But at the end of the day, none of those things can claim to be living and active in your life the way that God's word does. That description only belongs to the word of God. Point number one this evening is this. Recognize the power of the word. Recognize the power of the word, the power of the Bible, the power of the scriptures, the thing that you carry around on your phone or tablet or in your hand when you carry your Bible around. It's living and active. It transforms us. Okay, well, how? What does that look like? What does that mean that it transforms us? What does it mean that it's living and active? Okay, well... Let's talk about that a little bit. This passage, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Your favorite novel doesn't do that. Your textbook doesn't do that. Your, your owner's manual to your car doesn't do that. Your self-help book that you pick up at the bookstore, it doesn't do that. Only God's word will do these things. What does it do? It, it teaches us. It instructs us on the things that God wants us to, to know about. In fact, the source of all truth and all knowledge is God, and he is the one that has written this book to us to provide that instruction, that knowledge for us. So it, it teaches us. It, it also reproves us, and that's not exactly a, a fun thing, but it's a necessary thing. The word of God, it speaks truth into our life so that when I'm in error, the word of God corrects my error. It calls me out on my error. It exposes my error. That's what reproving is. It's like when I'm driving in my car and my son is in the back seat and he gets a glimpse of the speedometer and he goes, dad, how fast are you going right now, right? He's reproving driving. The word of God is useful for reproof, but it's also next useful for correction. See, it's not just that God's word will expose our error, but then it's going to correct our error. It's going to say, this is where you're going wrong. Now, here's the corrective. Here's what you need to do right. You're erring over here, but here's what God has called you to. God's word does that. Other books, other novels, other instruction manuals, things like that, it's not going to do that. And certainly, it's not going to do this last thing, which is to train you in righteousness so that you can be useful to the Lord. And some of you spend more time in Christian living than you do in the, in the Bible, and here's the deal, y'all. No Christian living book can claim what this verse claims. There's not a John Piper book out there that can make you adequately equipped for every good work that the Lord has called you to. Or whoever your favorite author is. Does that mean don't read them? No, but like Charles Spurgeon said, there are many good books. You can visit many good books, but he said this, live in the Bible. Live in the Bible. Y'all, it's the word that has the power to prepare you for effective service. That's part of the power of the word. Part of the living and active dynamic of the word is that it gets you ready to be useful to the Lord and nothing else will do that. 
And so if you're out there saying, you know what, I want to be more useful to the, word, to the Lord, but you're not in the word. It's like you going, well, I want to be a doctor, but I'm not going to bother with med school. But I want you to give me the white coat and I want you to give me that stethoscope thingy because I want to listen to people's heartbeats because I'm a little bit weird and a little bit of a creeper. But don't ask me to go to med school and get the training and spend the time and effort doing that because I'm not interested. We laugh at that, but somehow that's our mentality with the word of God. God, why aren't you using more? I, I, I want to be more useful to you. Okay, well, when's the last time you picked up the Bible? Well, I, I mean, I read it on Sundays. Or how about this next passage? Again, something unique to the word of God. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul writes, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's not expressly stated there, but y'all, how do we transform our minds? How do we renew our minds in this world? Based on the context and subject of this sermon, hopefully you know the answer to that. It's through exposure to and saturation in God's word. You, you want to start thinking more like God and less like the world, spend more time in his word. You want to start seeing more victory in your thought life? Start spending more time in the word. But notice what he also says there, in order that we might discern what is the will of God. You want to be able to know what God's will is for your life? You want to be able to, to have that discernment, that wisdom to make decisions, even especially so when you're looking at two issues that maybe it, neither issue is a sin here? Right? Those are the plain ones. Well, does God want me to sleep with my girlfriend before we get married? No! Right? Like, that's as plain as day. But if you're like, well, what's God's will for my life? Should I go here? Should I go here? Well, neither of them are sinful. God, how, how are you going to help me discern your will? Well, the more time you are spending in the Word, the more you are going to think thoughts like God and after God, and that's going to help you make decisions in those circumstances. Again, no other book can do that for you. It's the word that helps you, or has the power to, rather, transform you and renew your mind and help you discern the will of God. That's how it's living and active in your life. Maybe you're out there, you're saying, man, I, I want my mind to be more consistently filled with the word of God, and I, I want to know God's will for my life, but then you're not in the word. It's like you being out there going, well, yeah, I want to be a coffee expert, but I don't want to drink coffee. Again, it's ridiculous, but somehow that's the way that we think about God's word. Well, I, I want to be more godly in my thought life, and I, I want to know God's will for my life, but really, read more of his word? I'm already doing the, the daily Bible reading. Isn't, isn't that good enough? No other book has the power to do in your life what the word of God has, to, has the power to do in your life. Y'all, that's why it's a constant refrain from me and from your leaders to ask you if you're in the word regularly. Maybe you get tired of that, but y'all, we're not going to stop. Because if you're not in the word, you shouldn't expect the change that you desire in your life. And if you're not in the word, you shouldn't expect clarity in the tough decisions that you need to make in your life. God's word alone is living and active. Well, why? Why is it just God's word? Well, because it's God's word that he has chosen to activate in our lives through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us once we become believers, once we become Christians. God's word is, is the agent which the Holy Spirit takes and applies to our lives to transform us and change us and make us more like Jesus. In fact, Jesus talks about that in John chapter 16. He said this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the what? All the truth. 
He's going to guide you into all the truth. Well, what's the truth? Jesus is going to pray one chapter later to the Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So contextually, John 16, Jesus is saying, hey, the spirit is going to guide you into all truth. Chapter 17, he says, you know what's truth? The word of God is truth. He says, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare the things to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Y'all, it's the word of God alone that has the power to be used by the spirit to guide you and lead you and enlighten you. God's using his word, right? If you're going to come and say, well, yeah, but I read this book by by Alexander Strauch. I read this book by David Platt and it was so impactful and it transformed my life. I'm going to say, you know what I think probably transformed your life is how he brought the word, the scriptures to bear on your life in how he wrote about them in that book. I don't think it was David Platt's wisdom or John Piper's wisdom or John MacArthur's wisdom or anybody's wisdom that really transformed your life. I think it was how they brought the word to, to bear on your life and taught you about the word. What changed your life in reading that Christian living book was the word of God, if that Christian living book is worth its salt, right? That's what has the power to transform it. Nothing else can transform us that way. So if you're out there going, well, I want to grow in godly discernment. I want to grow in wisdom. I want to know more of the truth. I want God to be changing and transforming my life, but you're not in the word. It's like you saying, well, I want to add some more weight and put on some more muscle, but I don't really want to eat to do any of that. Okay, good luck with that. The word is powerful, living, and active. One more, Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the word, y'all, that has the power to defeat the lies of the enemy and to help you in your battle against sin. It's the word that has the power to do that. It's the scriptures that has the power to do that. If you say you want to overcome sin in your life, but you're not taking up the sword to do battle, you're not really fighting. Let me give you three suggestions on this front. Three M's, right? It's the Baptist that I never was coming out in me. First M is this, mornings. Mornings. Y'all, the older I get, the more convinced I am that your best time is in the morning to get yourself ready for the day in front of you. If you're doing your DVR at night before you go to bed, I, that, look, that's better than nothing. But at the end of the day, literally, no pun intended, but, but at the end of the day, how much impact is that having on your life? When you read your DVR and then you go to sleep, how much are you really carrying with you the next morning when you wake up and through the rest of the next day before you go to bed again the next night? It's not commanded in scripture, but it is the pattern that's established in scripture. The pattern that's established by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you want to come at me and go, man, you don't, uh, my life is so busy. Like I, I've got a, a Mark chapter one and Mark chapter two for you in response. Jesus is on his, his opening inaugural day of ministry. He's doing a lot of stuff there. He's healing people left and right. They're bringing the sick and the lame and the diseased and the demon possessed to him. And he's up late into the evening and he's healing people and he's working and he's doing all of these things. And then the text says this, and the next day, while it was still dark, he got up and went away to spend time with his father. And you go, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. I've got a John chapter four for that. Jesus being wearied sat down at the well. See, yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. When his Apple watch buzzed on his wrist in, at 4 a.m. to wake him up and get him up out of bed, man, he was 
just like you and I are going, oh man, my eyes are so heavy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of bed. But he prioritized it. Why? Because he saw the benefit and the need for it. Y'all, we need to prioritize it too. So let me suggest mornings to you. Wake up earlier. You will live. And for some of you, that it's, that's not even about being busy. I'm not saying for all of you. I, I recognize there's some busyness. For some of you, this is just a discipline issue. This is just a time to, to, to put on your big girl and big boy pants and just start owning life for yourself. Mornings, second M, memorization. Memorization, you want the word of God to be living and active and present in your life? Internalize it. It's a reason why David said, man, Lord, how can a young man keep his way pure? David's asking that question in, in the time that he was reigning over Israel, right? There was no internet, there was no social media, there was no HBO, there was no TV, there was no movies. There, none of that existed. And he's going, how is it possible to stay pure? Well, there were rooftops, right? And there were bathtubs next door. Well, David answers that and he says, by keeping it according to your word. He would say later, I'm going to store up, I'm going to treasure up your word in my heart in order that I might not sin against you. Students, you guys need to be memorizing more scripture. Bible memory app, fighter verses. Those are two that you can download and start using right now. Great resources, right? So morning's memorization. Third one is meditation. Meditation. And I don't mean the junk that my kids get taught in school where their science teachers like, well, we need to just hum together and put our fingers together and meditate before we start class. No, that is emptying your mind and that is an unbiblical concept. Nowhere does the Bible call you to empty your mind. Nowhere. It calls you to fill your mind. Meditation is like a cow's stomach, if you want an analogy. A cow has multiple stomachs. I don't remember how many, but more than one. And when a cow eats some grass, it starts chewing that grass, and it chews it into something that's called the cud. The cud is then swallowed, right? How's that Cain's chicken feeling right now in your, your stomach? The cud is swallowed into the, the stomach, one of the stomachs, and then it hangs out there for a while while the digestive process goes to work, and then that cud, guess what happens to it? Here you go. Comes back up into the cow's mouth, and he chews on it a little bit longer. And then he swallows it down again, and it works its way through the various stomachs, but it keeps coming back to the cow. Guys, you need to chew the cut of Scripture throughout the day. It's another reason why mornings are so useful to you. You need to meditate on the Word. That means, man, you need to be thinking about what you've been reading every single day and more than just when you're, you're reading it. Set reminders on the app on your phone so that it will pop up and remind you of the, the passage, the verse that you're reading that morning. Have a friend that's going to call you and say, hey, we read this passage this morning. I just wanted to remind you of this passage or send you a text and, remind, and, and do that with each other. But meditating is bringing the word of God back to your mind. It's, it's marinating yourself in the scriptures throughout the day. And so mornings, memorization, meditation. If you guys want to increase your intake of the word and see it be more powerful in your life, start there. The word of God is powerful. There's no other religious work out there as practically helpful in diagnosing the problem with humanity and the solution to the problem as the Bible is. There's no other philosophical treatise out there which can account for the mysteries of knowledge and wisdom and love the way that the Bible can account for them. And certainly there's no manual out there that can more adequately aid you in navigating the ups and downs of life like the scriptures. The word of God is powerful. It is sufficient, and it alone is living and active. Recognize the power of the word of God. But he goes on there. He says, not only is it living and active, but then he gets into this metaphor. He says, it's, or this analogy, it's, it, it's a metaphor? Metaphor. There's no like or as. It's one of the, it's the one without like or as. And he says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, in Romans 13, Paul talks about the sword. He says, hey, you know what? The, the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. There he's talking about the sword as an instrument and tool of judgment, right? Of executing justice. But the weird word here for sword can also mean dagger or sharp knife, like a, a scalpel. And in this context, I think that's the better understanding of what the author was saying. That the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword or two-edged scalpel, right? And then he goes on and he says this, because it, it pierces, not as a sword thrust to kill, but as a scalpel to reveal, to pull back, to explore, to probe. He says it, it pierces to the division, verse 12, of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The idea is that of the word of God probing and getting to the deepest parts of our very souls, our very beings. That the word of God assesses our spiritual condition and identifies areas where we might be at risk. When he says there that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, it's not that he's saying it's separating soul from spirit and joint from marrow, but those are four areas in which the word of God pierces and divides and dives deep. Soul is the concept of our, our life, right? What, what gives life to our, our bodies. Spirit is that, that spiritual element of us. Our joints, our, our physical joints, he's, he's talking about, man, it even gets down into your joints. You're, when you think about that from an, an anatomy perspective, and even the, the marrow, bone from marrow there, that's, that's precision is what he's driving at there with those last two concepts. Essentially, is, the argument here is that there's no place in your life that the word of God is not able to assess and diagnose. There's no place in your life that the word of God does not speak into. There's no place in your life that it doesn't probe, that it doesn't press, that it doesn't try to see, hey, is everything okay here? Is everything going on all right here? Growing up, my mom was a physician. She's retired now, but she was a doctor, and, and it was good and bad at the same time. Because anytime I had an injury, I'd go in and be like, oh, mom, I, I think this happened. And she'd, the first thing she would do is she'd press right on where it hurt and be like, does this hurt? Ah, yes, it hurts. Stop that. It, that's what I just told you. It hurt. It's bleeding and you're pressing on it. Yes, it hurts. But she was also trying to make sure that the bones were intact and, and make sure that I hadn't broken anything, right? God's word is going to do that. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable for us, but it's doing that for our good. It's piercing. But not only is it piercing and probing, it's also, verse 12, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Discerning, exposing, revealing. Not anything physical, but what's immaterial. The thoughts and intentions, my motives behind what I'm doing. Man, the word of God is going to even be able to bring to light the motives of what I'm doing in my heart. This may seem like a negative perspective on the word for you to go, I, I, don't, I don't really want that. But let me spin your perspective on it to, to see this not negatively, but to see it as a scalpel in the hands of a loving surgeon who wants to make sure that there's nothing in you that's going to damage you long term. Right? When somebody goes in for surgery, sometimes an athlete will go in for what's called exploratory surgery because they're trying to really kind of pinpoint exactly what's going on. Well, you want them to be thorough in that. You don't want them to miss something that's going to end up being a detriment to you down the road. 
Y'all, when you encounter the word of God, it's like exploratory surgery every time you open up God's word. The spirit is going to go to work to probe and to press and to look and to examine and to search and to try to bring to light even the thoughts and intentions of your heart to see if there's anything, right, that is not right. Like David prayed, Lord, search my heart, know me, try me, see if there be any grievous or anxious way in me. He's inviting the surgeon's scalpel. Y'all, when we pick up the word of God, we need to invite that same surgeon's scalpel and ask that he would reveal what needs to be revealed. Yeah, the process may be unpleasant from time to time, but at the same time, you know that the one wielding the scalpel does so for your good and your well-being. Point number two tonight is this. Embrace the piercing work of the word. Embrace the piercing work of the word. The powerful word, the living and active word. Now it's, it's the living and active word, the powerful word that then goes to work to, to get in our kitchen, so to speak. To open us up, to see what's going on, to make sure that everything is running the way it should be. That there's nothing wrong, that there's nothing that needs to be addressed and pulled out. And so here's the deal, y'all. When you take up the Bible and feel the conviction of the Spirit, that's the scalpel of the Holy Spirit going to work in your life through the word of God. So when you read about something like sexual purity and you feel the weight of uh, conviction over pornography or what you've been doing with your, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, y'all, that's the sword of God. That's his word active in your life. It's piercing, it's revealing, and he, he wants you to see that that's a danger to you. And just like if they were to open you up and find something within that is not right, that's, that's causing problems, you would want it out. And when you feel the weight of conviction as you encounter the word of God, you should have the same response going, I want this out because the word, the Lord God is, is pressing in on this. It's, he's probing, he's revealing, and this is something that's a, a threat to my health. Just like a cancerous tumor, you need to get that thing out and away from you as quickly as you can. When you read about pride and you realize, man, my motivations for serving have been wrong. My motivations for serving have been because of of self-glorification, because I want to be recognized, because I want this person to think of me this way, because I want to be seen a certain way, then you need to realize, man, that's God's scalpel graciously revealing that to you and calling you to put that pride to death. When you read about the realities of hell and you see the face of someone you love who's not a believer and you feel the burden to go and to share the gospel with them, y'all, that is the sword, that is the scalpel that is piercing you as you read, in order that you would respond to it. The reality is you can ignore the scalpel here. You can avoid the scalpel here by not picking up the word of God, but it, it, unfortunately, you're, you're not going to be able to avoid the evaluation in the assessment of the divine surgeon forever. It will come. There will come a day when the divine surgeon lays you bare, as the text says here. And as the Bible also says, you'll receive what is due for what you've done in the body. The reckoning day will come. The day is fixed and certain for every single one of us. And some of you on that day are going to be laid bare by the divine surgeon. And based on the, the things that you have done, the, the sins that you've committed, the things that he's going to open you up and your body's going to be full, so to speak, of cancerous tumors. That is sin and in, in the sickness of a fallen nature. And it's not going to be cleansed by the blood of Christ at that point. And when that surgeon lays you bare, he's going to pronounce the judgment. And the judgment is that you are going to be cast into eternal judgment and hell and torment and suffering. Others of you Christians, you 
are going to be opened up and laid bare. And if you have been ignoring the word of God, you know what? You are going to also have some sickness and disease there, though you will ultimately be saved because you are saved in Christ. But as the Bible says, you are going to suffer loss through that period of assessment and judging before the divine surgeon. And so, y'all, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think, well, I, what do I want? Do I want to be greeted with well done, good and faithful servant? Or do I want to be saved, but only saved through fire and much loss, which is the alternative? And if you want to say, I want to be received with well done, good and faithful servant, y'all, then I want you to see God's word right now as a welcome grace in your life. As the mercy of God, that, that blade that if responded to here and now can have a sanctifying result in your life and keep you from that pain down the road. So respond to the piercing of the word, the conviction that you feel, the prompting that you feel. Because he says in verse 13, no creature is exempt from this. No creature is hidden from his sight, he says. Psalm 139, if we went to Psalm 139 and, and read in Psalm 139, David is talking about the knowledge that God has of us. He says, you, you knew me when I was being formed in my mother's womb. In fact, you are the one who is forming me. He says, I, I can't go anywhere from you. He says, I, I can't, even if I could catch the rays of the, the sunrise, jump on the first beams of morning light and ride those to the outermost parts of the sea. He says, even there, you're going to be there with me. I can't hide from you. I can't say, well, look, I'm in, I'm in darkness, so I'm hidden from God because he says, because even darkness is like light to you. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He says, you've created me, you knit me, you formed me together. He says, before a word is even on my tongue, you know it. You know the words that I'm going to speak even before I speak them. More than that, God, you know the days that exist for me before as yet even one of them had come to pass. To pass. That's why he says, the writer does here in Hebrews in verse 13, there's no creature hidden from the sight of God. Nobody's hiding from the word of God. Verse 13 Again, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That word for exposed is, is actually a wrestling term. It's the idea of the opponent being pinned down and the neck exposed. Because the neck was the, the vulnerability of all vulner, vulnerabilities. In fact, it's a, a training technique for dogs, right? When you get a new dog, one of the things that you're supposed to do is put the dog on the back and pin it down by the neck because that's a way to put that dog into a submission position. It's communicating to that dog that you are the boss, not him. Y'all, that's what God's word does to us. And if you're a Christian, you respond with thanksgiving for that because you understand that he's sanctifying you. He's being gracious. But y'all, if you're an unbeliever, that word is going to put you down eventually. For Christians, 2 Corinthians 5.10. You guys have heard me talk about this verse in the past. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us Christians 
may receive what is due for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil. How about Romans 14, 10 through 12? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us will stand before the bema seat, that's what this is, of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will have to give an account of himself to God. The word is going to lay us bare and we are going to have to give an account for ourselves to God. Are you ready for this day? Imagine for, for just a moment, imagine if your thought life for the last week was going to be broadcast up on this screen behind me for all of us to see. And you were going to have to give an account in front of us right now for every thought that you had over the last week. How would that make you feel? Nervous? Ashamed? Fearful? Now imagine instead if I told you, okay, not last week, but I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a grace. I'm going to say for the next week, if it was possible, and it's not, right? But if it was possible, every single one of your thoughts over the next week is going to be recorded. We're going to come back here next Sunday, and we're going to broadcast your thoughts on the big screen. And you're going to have to give an account for all of your thoughts next Sunday night over the, ne- the course of the next week. If you knew that that was going to happen, how careful would you be about what you thought about this week? How much would you try to to discipline yourself to think about the things that God wants you to be thinking about? How much scripture memory would you be doing? How much scripture meditation would you be doing? How quick would you be to put to death a sinful thought if it did pop into your mind? Certainly you wouldn't let it hang out there and set up camp there and entertain its fantasies there. Why? Well, because you would know that next week you're going to have to give an account for that thought to all of us in this room. Y'all, the two passages that I just put up on the screen a minute ago is just, let's be clear. What those are telling us is that we're going to have to do that with our holy perfect God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, you will receive what is due for what you have done in the body, whether good or evil. Romans 10, or 14, brother. We all must give an account of ourselves to God. Is that thought making a difference in your life? Think about this. The the words that you say, the entertainment choices, the shows that you watch, the movies that you watch, the websites that you visit, social media, your accounts on social media, what you're doing on there, what accounts you're visiting, looking at, interacting with, your thought life, your dating relationship, your friendships, your prayer life, you know, you know, prayer is one of the most powerful resources that any of us have. And one day we're going to have to give an account for how we use that or didn't use it. Your word intake, 
God's going to say, I gave you 66 books to reveal to you who I am. What'd you do with it? And no creature is hidden from his sight. Again, no creature is hidden from his sight. Here's the deal, y'all. I'm not saying this so that you go, oh man, I'm not saved because I'm going to have to give an account about all this. I'm saying this to say that that Christianity, y'all, is not a passive relationship. It's dynamic and it's active, all right? And, And there is a measure of the fear of God that should propel us and compel us to live holy lives before him. There's a measure in which our encounter with the word of God should cause us to want to obey God more and love him more and follow him more passionately. And a measure of that should be that, yes, I'm going to have to stand before him someday and give an account for my life. And if you are in Christ, the the response is not going to be, depart from me, I never knew you. But man, the Bible does say there are some that are going to be saved, but only as through fire, suffering much loss. Suffering is what the Bible says there. Is that going to be you? And if you're out there going, man, I don't want it to be me, then I'm going to tell you the the solution, the answer is right here. It's in beginning to take this thing seriously and begin to say, okay, I'm going to invite the piercing work of the, the word of God in my life. Holy Spirit, take up the scalpel, lay me bare. Let's, let's go to work. Let's get any sinful thing in my life. Let's get rid of it because I don't want it. Because, man, if it's still here, I don't want it to burn up. I don't want to be saved, but only through fire, man. I want to be saved, and I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so if you're sitting out there going, man, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be saved, but only as through fire. I want to be saved, and I want to be confident, and I want to be greeted with my Savior, and, and I want him to be excited about seeing me there. Then here's the final point. Use the word of God to prepare for judgment. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all will be laid bare. We will be laid bare, and the word is the assessment. Man, we want to be able to say, Jesus, it's all for your glory. But here's the, the, the rewards that I've stored up in heaven, and they're, they're about you, for you, praise you. We don't want to be there as, as the majority of our lives are burned up as, as wood, hay, and straw, as the picture is there. And have to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for being my Savior because I realize how much I just ignored and neglected you. Are you still going to go into heaven? Yes. Is heaven still going to be phenomenal and amazing and the best ever? And will there be no more sickness, no more tears, no more sorrow? Yes. But y'all, I want you to feel the weight of that moment where you stand and you look at your Savior and you will have to give an account for your life. I want you to feel that moment. Here's the thing. There's still time, okay, for every single one of you in this room. There's still time, and the Word can play a massive role in any change that you want to make in your life. In fact, let me rephrase that. The Word must play a massive role for any change you want to make in your life. Thinking about some of those changes, maybe immorality. Maybe you've got some immorality in your life, sexual immorality, worldly immorality that's plaguing you, and you want to be able to put that off. Y'all, there is time, and the Word of God is the answer here. 
Or maybe you are somebody who is plagued by anxiety and by worry and by fear, and it grips your heart. You say, you say man, I, I don't want that anymore. I want to be able to, to, to have a greater confidence and trust and faith in the Lord. There is still time, and the Word of God is the answer. Or maybe you say, well, I, just, I, I recognize that I am a worldly person, that I love the things of the world, that I am consumed with the things of the world, whether that's materialism or whether that's immorality or whether that's just worldly speech or whatever that may be. That, that I, I'm, a, I'm a worldly person. Y'all, the, the Bible has the answer for you in that regard. Or maybe you would say, well, I, I recognize I'm a, I'm a prideful person and I want more humility in my life. Y'all, the answer is in the scriptures. It's in the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Or maybe you say, man, I, I recognize I've got anger in my life, and I, I want to work through that, process that, and become somebody who is not an, as so much of an angry person. Y'all, the word of God is the answer there as well. Maybe you say, well, it's, it's words for me. It's my speech. I want my words to be seasoned with more grace and less profanity. I want my words to be seasoned with more encouragement and less discouragement, less gossip. Y'all, the word of God has the answer for you there. Or maybe you would say it's, it is materialism. The Word of God has the answer for you here, too. Let's just walk through a little bit of, of what that looks like. Let's, let's take immorality and purity, because that's the one that makes everybody the most comfortable to talk about right away. This is the way the Word of God, though, can go to work in your life and begin to see you transformed and conformed and how the surgeon's scalpel can cut and expose and lay you bare and go, oh, man, whoa, I, okay. I need to get rid of this because this is not right. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Thess 4. He says, this is the will of God. You want to know what God's will is? Paul's telling you right here. Your sanctification. That means your Christ-likeness. That means your holiness. Specifically, as he's writing to the Thessalonians and also to us, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no one should transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. All what things? In all the offenses of sexual immorality committed against one another. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, here's the the seal for it, the, the kicker. Therefore, whoever ignores us on this one, Ignores not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul is essentially saying here, sexual immorality and the Christian have no business together. Let me put it bluntly in the way that I would have a conversation with my 12-year-old. The parts that your clothes cover up are not for anyone else except for the Lord until you get married. If you're taking off clothes and you are uncovering what clothes cover, then you are transgressing not man but God in that. If your eyes are gazing at things that are normally covered up, you are transgressing not man but God in that. And I want you to feel the surgeon's scalpel, not so that you're like, okay, well, I'm a wretched, miserable, horrible, disgusting person, loathsome person, let me go just crawl away and die. No, so that you can go, wait a minute, I've got the spirit living within me. The word is pressing in on me. The correct response is I need to repent from these things and I need to put them off and I need to turn and I need to follow what the Lord wants from me in this. 
the example of purity, but let's keep going. How about anxiety? Okay, well, I, I, I'm a fearful, anxious person, and that's just how God made me. Okay, well, I've got a problem with that because God actually tells you not to be. Again, the, the surgeon's scalpel is picked up by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, Paul, you don't understand. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, you feel that surgeon scalp. You go, okay, so what am I supposed to do when I have my anxious thoughts? Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Your anxious thoughts that cause the anxiety within you, don't pass that grid. God has given you that grid, and it's a mesh steel Kevlar grid to put over your brain. And anything that doesn't pass through it should be kept out. What passes through those things that he just listed? Those things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. Things worthy of praise. The surgeon's scalpel presses in our, on our anxiety and the answer is, well, I need to repent and I need to begin disciplining my mind to think about the things that God wants me to think about and not give my mind over to the enemy to be plagued by all of the fears and concerns that he wants me distracted with. How about just worldliness in general? Well, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 5. He says, or 3 through 5, he says, for the time that is past suffices. It's sufficient. You've had enough time for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. They mock you. They curse you. They make fun of you. But they will give an account. Speaking of giving an account, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Maybe you are coming out of that lifestyle. That was who you were. You were somebody who was out the parties. You were doing the, the drinking. You were getting drunk. You were doing drugs. You were losing control of your own mental faculties, right? Which is what the Bible is so against with all of those things. We are to be sober-minded, and we are only to be controlled by and compelled by the Spirit. We are not to, to lose control of our faculties. And Paul's saying here, look, or Peter's saying, if that's you, enough. You've had enough time with that. It's time to now separate yourself, create a break from that. So the surgeon's scalpel is pressing in on you because that's been your life. The call of God on your, your life now, Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, is to remove yourself from that. Separate yourself from that so noticeably that your friends who once did all that stuff with you look at you and go, what gives, man? Why aren't you doing this with us anymore? How about pride? James chapter 4, 6 through 10 says this, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's the, the initial cut of the surgeon's scalpel that hurts, doesn't it? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Don't be prideful, but submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You're struggling with pride. Here's the scalpel. And I need to submit myself to the Lord. I need to draw near to him because I can't stand by myself. If I try to stand, I'm going to fall. I need the Lord. I need to approach him, draw near to him, lean into him, and I need to humble myself before the Lord. 
Maybe it's, it's anger for you. That your problem is you are an angry person. And you want anger to, to no longer be a part of your life. What do you do? Well, the book of Proverbs has plenty of examples of the surgeon's scalpel. Proverbs 15.1, harsh word stirs up anger, but a, a gentle response turns away wrath. Proverbs talks about, do not go with a person given to anger. Don't hang out with somebody given to anger. Don't hang out with a person given to stirring up contention and strife. Don't, don't be around people like that because it's going to rub off on you. There's plenty in Proverbs of the surgeon's scalpel. Words, Proverbs 18 is one of my favorite chapters on dealing with words. If you struggle with words, go read Proverbs 18 tonight. If you struggle with, with getting into to conflict and fights and debating and you're arguing with people regularly, read Proverbs 18, one of my favorite verses in all of Proverbs. A fool's mouth invites a beating. Right? Man, I've been guilty of that. How about materialism? Um, Book of Ecclesiastes. All of it. So if, if you're struggling with materialism, you got a, a lot of homework tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? It's, it's the, the word has the answers. The word has the response there for us if we will give ourselves over to the word. Y'all, let the word lay you bare now so that you aren't laid bare when it's too late. May I ask you, if the word, if the, the day that you will have to give an account, if that were to be tomorrow, what are the areas of your life that tonight you want to change? That right now you would say, if I, if I knew I was going to stand before the Lord to give an account tomorrow, I would want to change this tonight. What are those areas? And how can the living and active word of God begin to help you make those changes tonight and moving forward? Y'all, there's no other book that can do for you and in you what the Bible can do for you and in you. No other book that's living and active. No other book that's powerful. No other book that can shape you, transform you, mold you, conform you, and sanctify you like the Bible can. Yeah, the power that you have on those phones or in those books is greater than the computer that put man on the moon. It's greater than the ability to text someone on the other side of the world, the power that you have in the Bible is more powerful and valuable than having a button that could undo everything over the last two years. The question is, do you realize it? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, that it is powerful, that it is sufficient, that it is good, that it is right, that it is pure, that it teaches, that it convicts, that it molds us, conforms us, shapes us, convicts us, lays us open, pierces probes. God, we are grateful for your scriptures and that you do that work through them in our lives. And we pray that you would continue to do that. I pray that you would continue to do that in our lives, in the lives of these students here. God, I pray that if there are students here who are not a follower of Jesus to begin with, that this message tonight would have pierced and cut so that they want to become a Christian. Because the alternative is to one day stand before you as the divine and wrathful judge, not to hear welcome, but to hear depart from me into eternal damnation. 
yeah, there's no other hope for the world than Christ. No other hope for the world than that message that's contained here in your word. So I pray that we would be found faithful in the way that we communicate it, the way that we preach it, the way that we proclaim it, the way that we read it, the way that we invest in it, the way that we take it in, the way that we respond it, the way that we live it. God, go to work with your word, with your blade in our lives, we pray for Jesus' glory.